All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, so we're going to kind of, we've been looking at division in the church over the last uh, first three or four chapters. And now Paul's going to get, start to, to rebuke the ch Corinthian church for some other things, including this. So this morning, um, we talked about the difference between taking a stand for the gospel and getting distracted by doubtful disputes. Like uh, the, the scriptural uh, examples were diet and days that you worship. Uh, however, not only do we stand for the gospel, but there are certain things in the scriptures that are sin. God describes them as being sinful and no matter how much the culture wants to change that and, and erase it, um, we cannot compromise on those. And so we're going to get into a really good, clear definition of how to handle the current rampant sin that we have in our culture. Uh, and uh, it may surprise us a little bit as we go through it. So let's look at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual, sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentile, that a man has his father's wife. So let's talk about the sin. We know right away that it's a sexual immoral sin. And the sin is that a man has his father's wife. The world does not like it when we expose their sins. The Bible is very clear that men prefer darkness rather than light. And in fact, do you, do you remember why John the Baptist was beheaded? Right. It was a very similar situation. There was a wrong, inappropriate marriage in that he just spoke out against it. And they arrested him, and then the wife wanted his head on a silver platter, and that's what she got. Isn't it interesting? Carol and I were talking right before Awana on how the Bible really understands human nature. That when you're reading the Old Testament and going through things, we don't change all that much. When the world gets away from God, they, one of the evidences of it from Romans 1 is they start to partake in all kinds of debased sexual things. And this is what was happening in the Corinthian church. And the particular sin was a man has his father's wife. Now that, that phrase, has his father's wife, uh, in the Greek, it actually denotes to be married to. Um, and so his father's wife was most likely not his own mother, but a stepmother. But Deuteronomy 22.30 says, A man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's skirt. Deuteronomy 27.20 says, Cursed be the man that lieth with his father's wife. So it's very clear in the laws of Moses that you don't do this. So the problem was not so much 
the person committing the immorality. Um, but the problem was the church accepted it. Verse 2. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. Well, wait a minute. Paul is going to judge this person? What gives him the right to judge this person? I thought we weren't supposed to judge. We're going to get into those verses. Is Paul judging this person? The answer to that question is no. Deuteronomy 22.30 judges this person. However, Paul with his apostolic authority, remember, at this particular time in history, they don't have a New Testament to go to. So the apostles would hold um, court, so to speak, on the issues of the church. And Paul says, I don't even have to be there. We don't even have to have anybody tell me I can tell you from far away that this is wrong. So deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now this is very, 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 very important as we go through this because people completely misunderstand the standing against sin that we as the body of Christ do. So look at verse 5. What is the goal? That he will be saved. The goal is salvation. My desire for my brother is salvation. The homosexual stuff will happen. That'll work its way out later if he becomes a Christian. Remember, if you become a Christian, like we talked about this morning, you're a new creature. You're a new person. We want to put the cart before the horse and we want to change people to be straight before we change them to be Christians. And that just doesn't work that way. We are not called by God to clean up this town. We are called by God to preach the gospel. And we're going to get to verses later on that clearly teach that. The end goal for every person that is not walking with Christ is salvation. That's the end goal. We want them to be saved. Well, one of the ways that God brings people to him is something that is called the wrath of abandonment. And we see that in the prodigal son. He wanted his inheritance. The father gave it to him and let him go. I'm sure it wasn't easy for the father. But the result was the son found out what it was like without God and as a result he came back and so this idea of putting people out of the church is for their life to kind of fall apart a little bit and that will draw them back to God uh, turn to Romans 1 we've gone pretty extensive through Romans 1 at times, but in Romans 1, we are talking about, if you look at verse 18, 
<clears throat> it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteous of men who suppress the truth. So this is talking about the wrath of God coming to anyone who tries to suppress the truth. And God has some specific things in, in this chapter that he does. In verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So the first thing God does, one of the first things he does is when they continue to suppress the truth, God says, okay, I'll stop bothering you. I will let you go through the lust of your flesh. And the results of that in verse 26 and 27 is, is homosexuality because it is a symbol and sign of a nation that God has said, fine, I'll just let you live according to your flesh. And we have witnessed a little piece of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was the result of when they get completely a void of God altogether. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. So first it's uncleanness and then to vile passions. And they go into uh, the homosexual sins that, that will happen when we don't have God protecting us. Um, verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased minds to do the things which are not fitting. So this is the wrath of abandonment. It is God giving a people over to their own flesh to allow their, and, and we've seen it. it. It is incredible how quickly the spiral is and how absolutely uh, debased. And, and I think this verse here, I think we've gone from lust of the flesh to sordid uh, sexual behavior now to just it's debased it's there's debased things out there what is what is um, but look at verse 29 they are filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality wickedness covetousness maliciousness full of envy murder strife deceit evil mindedness they're whisperers backbiters haters of God violent proud boastful inventor of evil things disobedient to parents now, interesting how it puts that right in the middle of all that stuff. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Man, it sounds like the internet. It just sounds like social media. And, and all of us, because I've, I've known all of you for a while now, I've seen you be attacked by some of this. Who knowing, verse 32, this is the key verse tonight, that the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. And when a nation or a people or a person gets as vile as they can be, they not only don't speak out against things that are wrong, but they begin to approve them and approve those who practice them. This stuff that we're doing with parents taking their children to drag shows and to 
to sexually explicit books that are going into our first graders and second graders. If you've seen some of the videos of parents going to the school board to try to get these books taken out, and the school board just, they know these books are wrong. They know it. So why aren't they standing against it? Why would a school board allow that book to be in there? It's very simple. They don't want to lose their government money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And they are sitting there having to approve of these things and invite these ungodly, sensual, horrible things into their schools for political power and money. We have sunk into Romans 1.32. It's very obvious. And what Paul is saying <clears throat> to this church in Corinth, you just can't let this go. You have to do something about this. This wasn't just a person in their church that had, had a sinful moment or a fall. This is a person who is now married in a full relationship with their stepmother. And the church, the Bible says, is so puffed up. They're almost like, you know, the Corinthians was a very sinful town. And it would be like having a, a, a fundamental church in the Bay Area. But you would stand liberally for different sins and say it's okay. And puff yourself up as we see today as no, we're a liberal church and we're an open-minded church and we're this kind of church. And that's what they were doing at Corinth. And Paul says no. And here's why. Let's go back to Corinthians. Let me... Uh, uh, quote a couple verses for you. Uh, Brethren, if a man is overtaken by a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. That's Galatians 6 1. So if you see a brother who sins, your first step isn't to kick this person out, your first step is to go to that brother or sister and say, Listen, I'm kind of worried. 1 Timothy 1.19 says this, Having faith and good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I delivered to Satan, that they might learn not to blaspheme. Again, what's the end goal? To bring them back to God. God's reason for turning this nation over is so this nation will realize without God, look, we used to be one nation under God. We used to have prayer in schools. We used to read the Bible in schools. We decided we didn't want God. We wanted separation of church and state. Well, how's that worked? It's, it's been horrible. And people pine for the old days when God was there. Uh, before we go to Corinthians, I, I want you to let's go back to Matthew 18. Um, I wasn't going to do this tonight, but I will. Matthew 18, and there's just a few verses. There's a thing called church discipline. And we have not participated very much in church discipline around here because we haven't needed to. There are steps to church discipline. And we would have to, to, to take it this far if necessary. But if you look at Matthew 18, and we're going to start in verse 15. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him, his fault between you and him alone. 
If he hears you, you've gained a brother. So it's not that we haven't had to deal with sin over the 30 years that we've been here. We've dealt with sin. Sometimes we have gone to brothers or sisters and, and spoken to them about different things. And sometimes they've had to come to me and speak about certain things. But it's almost always met with a humble attitude. And it's usually done. Then it says in verse 16, If they will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So if we knew there was some um, public sin or, or sin going on with a person in the church, and we went to that person and said, Hey, this, this lifestyle you're leading, it's unbiblical. And they say, I don't say anything wrong with it. Then my next step is I might go get Don and Larry. And we might go together so they know I'm just not nitpicking. And they would have verses. And you say, no, we... And then if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So somebody asked... I had a conversation with a couple pastors a couple weeks ago... And the question came up, what would you do if a homosexual couple came to your church? And the answer is, it's not really that difficult. If they came to church and we want them to hear the gospel, no problem. All right. Now, if they sat there and hugged and held hands, we would go to them and say, hey, you're welcome here. We'd love to have you. But because of what we believe, what the Bible teaches, you don't have to say we believe, uh, no PDA. And if they say, well, we're going to do what we want, then we might have a couple more people, and then we'd have to do what? Yeah, we have to ask them to, to leave. This is probably not the place for you. I, I will tell you that there, there, uh, there have been three that I remember, people who I've asked not to come to church here. There was a, a an instant where Someone left and, and then badmouthed the church that the pastor didn't come visit them to ask them to come back. And people came to me and said, hey, this family, you should call them. And I said, no, I'm, I'm the one that asked them. They were bringing in very dangerous false doctrine. And it's our responsibility to protect the sheep from the wolves. So that is the way it's supposed to be done. But the the again, the purpose is not to embarrass or, or defame, or it's to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Let's go to the why back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be new lump. Since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, but with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here's the reason why you got to take care of this. Because if you let a little bit of sin in, it absolutely catches fire and we see what we have in our name. When we just let, and this is one of the reasons why early in, in some of these, um, the homosexual movement or the abortion movement or any other sins, I don't want to, I'm only 
pinpointing those because this is a sexual sin in the church. But, you know, those when, you know, this is inappropriate, this is wrong, and people approved of the little bit. And then now we can't get a hold of it anymore. And it is completely, uh, a f this next generation, I don't know what it's going to look like with uh, what the kids in schools are being taught as acceptable and normal. It, it's we really need to pray for this country, and we do every day. But it says a little lump, and here's what they would do. Go ahead. Oh, do you? I know. I had a student did the same thing, and the TikTok theology is way out there. And we had a sample of that with the young man that stayed with us for a couple of days, and here at the church, and he came to Sunday school, and boy, he he really aggressively challenged Larry, aggressively in that Sunday school class, and he I, I will I didn't say it this morning, but uh, he. He has the most vile things, and I'll just give you an example. He says, when you pray to God for some woman not to have an abortion, that God's response to you is to shut the blank up, and he looks at the girl and says, have your abortion, I love you. He says that's what Jesus would say, and he, he uses the cuss word right on there. He is so vile out there, and yet he promotes himself as a man preaching the gospel across the country. And uh, th that's modern young person theology. That's how a little lump, a little leaven. And what they would do is when they would make bread, and it was more of a sourdough kind of a bread, they would take a part of that bread and they would put that leavened bread with unleavened dough. And once it got in there, it would puff up the bread. And they would continue to do that. But the problem is, the more you do that, uh, the more unhealthy the bread would get over and over again. And if you didn't take care of it, it would get so puffed up, it would grow. So that puff up is a symbol of pride. And that idea and illustration is that a little leaven will puff up. Sin will puff you up. And so what they would do during the Passover feast, one of the things they were the Jewish families had to do was for seven days is have no leaven. In fact, they were to go in their house and take anything that had any leaven in it and get rid of it. Because then you could start already with a fresh loaf, unleavened, and then start the process over again. Well, Jesus, this Bible says, is our Passover sacrifice. Because he had no sin, it was like starting fresh with unleavened bread. That he was able to, the, Jesus is the bread of life, but he has no sin, no leaven. And so he actually does the opposite. While leaven poisons, destroys, and puffs up, Jesus removes all of the poison. It's a beautiful picture. But Paul is saying to this church, you approve this and you might say, well, they're married and 
parents are divorced and it's not his real mother, it's his stepmom. And he says, no, just a little bit. You got to do something about this. I'm telling you, it's wrong. Or else, and, and Christians for the last three decades, when, when we took prayer out of school and separation of church and state and the church has fought against it, it says, no, keep it in. Uh, if you don't, this whole nation's going to get immoral and fall and everybody went, oh, you Christians, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, guess what? We did know what we were talking about because this is what the Bible teaches. Go ahead, Carol. Absolutely. Where do you find that verse? Absolutely. It's not saying you're a liar. It's not saying Absolutely. you're wrong. It's saying back it up with God's word. And there's no way right. we could back that up. Well, I will, uh, absolutely. If I share this little example with you. That, that this young man challenged Larry. Larry was simply teaching a lesson on um, not everybody who says they're a Christian are a Christian. And there are certain characteristics you will see. And of course, young people take it as, well, you're judging. You're judging everybody. And I had mentioned the verse, John 3, in which the Bible says, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But the next verse says that those in the spirit will come to the light. And that that's one of the examples of a Christian is they'll want to be drawn to it. And he lost it. He says, wait a minute. What are you trying? What is your... And, uh, how can you say that? And I said, oh, I didn't say it. John 3 says it. He's, and then says what? And we went over and finally his, his last words were, so you're just taking it from the Bible. That's all we're doing. He says, all right. And, and, but you're right, Carol, that is the defense. The scripture says, the scripture says. Um, very good. Um, David says in Psalm 51, 7, after his sin with Bathsheba, he told God, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And so Isaiah 6, 7, when God came to Isaiah and he said, oh, my, I'm unclean, a man of unclean lips. It says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Hebrews 1.3 says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So if you read those verses again from Corinthians, it talks about purging that, that leaven, getting rid of it. And only Jesus can do that. He himself purged us. I love that verse. It's really good. So what do you do now? How do you handle it? And he says in verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. And so he had written another letter to them, um, probably not part of the canon of scripture, in which he warned them about keeping company with sexually immoral people. But what he says next is really important. And I don't think that we have this down in, in our kind of modern culture of the church. It says, yet, I certainly did not mean 
with sexually immoral people of this world or with covetous or extortioners or idolaters since you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written you to not keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So he, right here, differentiates between a Christian in a church taking part in a sin and a non-Christian outside taking part in sin. And we have, in modern times, spent a lot of times railing against the sins of the world. And while we want to point out that homosexuality is wrong, abortion is terrible, living together is terrible, adultery is terrible, stealing is terrible, all the things that God says are wrong, we take a stand against it. But if we as a church say we are going to completely separate us ourselves entirely from the world, we're going to go to a monastery, we're going to live as a monk so that we're not taking any part in the world, Paul says that's not what I'm talking about. What they have done is they have separated themselves from sinners outside the church while allowing the sin of the world inside the church. He says, you guys misunderstood me. You're not eating with those people outside while you're eating with the sinners inside. It's the opposite. I want you to, again, we read that verse in, in um, earlier when he says, you know, you have love for your brother. Well, let me read it to you. It's Second um, Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. We haven't read it yet. If a man not obey our word by the epistle, note that man, have no company with him that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So the difference is you may have a brother in the church that we have to ask to leave because they're living a lifestyle that is not acceptable and they're setting a bad example. They're still your brother. But you have to have this separation that the Catholic Church calls a kind of excommunication kind of a thing. But when it comes to the world, if we don't go to the world and share the gospel, they're never going to get saved. Paul says, I'm all things to all people, but I don't take part in the sin. You may talk to some people at your family reunion who are drinking beer and getting a little tipsy. But you may have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. But you're not going to get tipsy with them. You see what I'm saying? That's what Paul is saying here. Uh, and it's a little different. Handling sin within the body is different than the sins of the world. Galatians 5.24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections of the lust. So we're not taking part in the world. When God says to be separate from the world, is to be separate from the sins of the world. But turn to John 17. This is really important because it's the words of, of Jesus himself. In, in explaining very clearly this very interesting dichotomy so to speak of being separate from the world while you're living in the world it's difficult and uh, Brian and I have had this conversation about uh, you know using some things of, of that some people question in the world but 
using it as a, a manner of of witness, you know. And, and we had a little controversy years ago where we had a young person in the church that wanted to show a, a Disney movie to kids and then share the gospel with them, but the movie wasn't approved. It wasn't because Disney is so terrible. But that's a, that's a doubtful dispute, isn't it? It's it's a, something that is is personal preference there and I, I don't I don't know the answer to that question but look at John 17 verse 15 Jesus is about to die and he's praying privately to his father for the apostles he says I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you shall keep them from the evil one they are not of the world just as I am not of the world Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that I may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. All those who are going to believe, I pray God that you protect them as they are sent into the world. The Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel. But then the Bible says be separate. Well, no, be separate from the sins of the world. But we have to go into the world. We're not called by God to move to a monastery and take a vow of silence. That's not what God has asked us to do. And he's saying to them, what you guys have done is you have shunned the world, isolated yourself from the world, and then you dine with sinners within their own body. No, when I say don't eat with sinners, it's the ones in the church that you want to separate yourselves from so they can return. They've heard the truth. They've heard the gospel. Still call them brother, but understand, and, and they might be a neighbor, and you can certainly be... You, if you want to bring them back, you're going to have conversations outside the church. But until the sin is recognized, they just have to realize that the fellowship has been broken because you want them to return. You want them to come back. So then we're going to get to some interesting verses here. And we're almost done. But the last two verses of Corinthians... says what do i have to do with judging those who are outside do you not judge those who are inside but those who are outside god judges therefore put away from yourselves the evil person when it comes to people outside the church god's going to judge that they are standing before god and their names not written in the land's book of life but people within your church as a body of believers, we are to watch care over each other. And if a brother is caught in a fall, you go in love to that person. You say, look, I'm concerned about these things. Concerned about, not in, in minor things, but I'm talking about major things. Sometimes it's preferences. You know, if you say, well, I don't think you should be wearing that shirt. I don't think you should be doing this. No, but if you got somebody, a friend of yours, who's moved in with their girlfriend, you won't go to that person and say, look, it's not God's plan. It's not the way it works. I don't see anything wrong with it. Well, there's something wrong with it. It's not what God wants. And, and that's a very common thing in these days. It's, it's completely acceptable 
but there's some issues with that in 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 scripture obviously um, so look at Matthew 7 Matthew 7 is the pinnacle verse on judging and what we're going to learn tonight with these few verses is the truth about judging because that's what you're going to get thrown out right thou shalt not judge and this is what it says judge not that you be not judged but remember Paul just told them you can judge the people inside for with what judgment you judge you will be judged and with measure you use it will be measured back to you why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and not consider the plank in your own eye or what can you say to your brother let me remove the speck from your eye and look at the plank in your own eye hypocrite Remove the plank of your own eye, and then you will clearly see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. It still tells you you can go to the brother about a speck. But don't do it in an arrogant manner. That's what it's talking about. Understand, if you go to a brother, you've got to go humbly and understand, that, okay, I struggle with this too. I struggle with that. Pastor Rick and I, we meet every Tuesday, and we talk about different things, and we, we, we encourage each other about you know, I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's a good thing you got to do. Uh, but we do it in love. And, and this idea that you're just never supposed to call out sin because that's judging, it's not what these verses are saying. It's saying be careful. Don't be so haughty and like the Pharisees were. Where they were living in sin like when they brought the woman and Jesus simply said to them, he without sin, do what? Cast the first stone. And they couldn't do it. Go ahead, Carol. I think that maybe it's also saying, look at yourself first. Absolutely. Don't ignore it. Right. But look at yourself first. It's calling us to really look at ourselves before we go to somebody else. Not one or the other. Absolutely. Them. Absolutely. And, and that is the, the key there in those verses. You got it perfectly. But he is saying that, that to go to that person... But before you go to that person, you know, take a look at the plank and do a little bit of, like Corinthians 11 says, examine yourselves. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 5 says this last verse of the night. If anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes again to the Corinthian church and he addresses this guy that had the sexual immorality. And he says, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. The punishment which was afflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one is swallowed up with too much sorrow. I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. So apparently, if this is the same person, if it's not, it's the same consensus that when they got the first letter, their response was, yeah, we're not hard enough on sin. So what did they do? They went too hard to where it was, you know, and, and I've been there. You go to the church and you confess before the whole church, you know, what you did and you do penance and you do all of these things. And, and that's not what the Bible teaches. If there's true repentance... He says, look at, don't put, it's sufficient 
Now it's time to comfort him. It worked. He went out. However it happened, he realized the, the wayward actions and he repented and apparently Paul wouldn't invite him back unless he had done what? Turn it off, started living right. And now they were saying, okay, but I don't know what they were putting on him. Uh, we're gonna, uh, I know in, in years past, I, for me, when I was, had some trouble, I had to spend a summer putting, um, uh, what is that pink stuff you put up in the attic? Yeah, I had to do a summer of putting insulation to, for penance for my failure. So I did it all summer. But that's not the biblical way to do it. You know, so taking all of this together, we learn that being silent about sin or open about it and saying, you know, it's okay, we accept you just as you are. That's not what God calls us to do, especially within the church. We have to guard, especially our young people and, and new Christians from from the truth of the scriptures. And there's a very specific way to do it. The closest person to that person goes to them in love. And that usually takes care of it. It really does. Sometimes if it doesn't, then you might take a couple people with you to show that, look, I'm not being judgmental. We all agree and we all have these scriptures, like Carol said, that say this is wrong and we're really concerned for you. And if they say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it, you say, well... We're going to ask you maybe to find another church right now or, or because we just can't allow this. And uh, then they might get mad. But you've examined your life. You've gone to that person. And the other thing is, man, when we go into the world, we're not going in the world to clean it up. It'll get clean when people turn to Christ. And sometimes we are, are more focused on getting rid of the smut and we kind of want everybody to go to hell you know I hope you go to hell you deserve to go to hell well so do we that's the plank in our eye isn't it you got to get rid of it it's very interesting when you go through this chapter verse by verse that those last part of it when Paul talks about the difference between judging people inside the body and outside the body it's very different than what we're kind of taught and so we got to take these scriptures and kind of re-examine some things maybe that we do. And the Father, thank you for your word that continues to correct us and guide us and help us to be obedient to it, Lord, not to follow prey, Lord, to uh, the compromising that we talked about this morning and this evening. And we just thank you for your word in Jesus' name.